Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. So, this is the parsha Kitavo GT. And I just want to take time to acknowledge that this was the week that my wife and I mourned our miscarriage. And uh, it was very tough. And I want to thank all of our Mishpaka, all of the Lapid Nation for surrounding us like a crazy army. Bless each and every one of you. Toda Rabah for all of your prayers. And um, I find it very interesting that, you know, our daughter of blessed memory, Teva, Bat Mazel of blessed memory has uh, ascended to be with Hashem and you know she's kind of gone ahead of us being super spiritual like the ark that goes ahead of the people and uh, I just want to just take this time to acknowledge that you know Parashaki Tavo as it is occurring is happening during our time of mourning and she was conceived during Parsha Pincus, as it was read in Eretz Israel. And, uh, you know, upon the Shabbat of Parsha Kitetze, um, that's when, you know, Baruch Diana met. So, as Parsha Kitavo has gone forth, you know, I've had time to um, just kind of reflect and to you know, have tears. And, you know, Parsha Kitabo is the 50th Parsha. And this is all about entering into the land. And you don't get to enter into the land until everyone has their portion of the land, you know, conquered and everyone's being able to be established in it. Which took 14 years, by the way, after Moshe's death. So Yehoshua led a 14-year uh, mission to get everybody into their appropriate places. So taking out the 31 kings of the land, and it took 14 years to do it. And even at that point, it wasn't, everyone of Canaan wasn't eradicated, but it was mostly done to the point where we were able to be established and we were able to start with, you know, Shiloh and the tent being there, the tent of meeting being placed there. Until we were able to uh, have Melech David be established and him buy the threshing floor, which would be the foundation of the Beit HaMikdash. And then upon the rise of King Shlomo, that's when we built the Beit HaMikdash. So there's all that to take into consideration. So Kitavo really was the beginning of a long final process. And so... As I, again, just can't thank everyone enough for your support, for your prayers, for your tears. Just please know that Mazel and I have definitely taken our time to mourn and every day is one step at a time. But, you know, this too is for good. And we want to bring the final redemption because the answer to all of our problems is not to make it better. It is to push and press towards the high mark of Mashiach. So we ask that everyone will use not only our situation, but your own personal situations to fuel yourself 
towards entering into the final Geula. So those tears that are def definitely needed, you know, let's all pray Baruch HaBashem Adonai. Let's all cry out with the sound of the shofar. Amen. So, Parsha Kitavo is the 50th Torah portion. So, the 50 all has to do with the letter Noon, which is a letter about kingship. The word Noon itself is actually uh, Aramaic for fish. And you have this idea of Noon being associated with Yehoshua, which is Yeshua, because Yeshua was the son of Noon. And the whole Midrash about Noon, the father of Yehoshua, was that he was one who was completely righteous. So this is why we're seeing that when Yeshua HaMashiach comes on the scene, that he, he is the son of righteousness. And those of us who have been born by him, i.e. been born again, because Yeshua is the Torah. Slika, and who is the father of Torah? It's Hashem. So, when we are the offspring of the offspring, we become of that same pattern, just like Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So it is with Hashem, Mashiach, and those of us who are followers of Torah, Mashiach. We become the Ben Nun, son of 50. So, when we're looking at the Nun, we're getting to see a picture of Yeshua, because... 50 corresponds to the Jubilee year, the 50th year, which is where all captives and slaves go free. And Yeshua said, I come to proclaim this year, the year of the Lord's favor. Okay. And then it also corresponds to Shavuot, which is the 50th day of the Pesach, which is the height of the journey of us leaving exile. Because when we left out of Mitzrayim, we made it to Har Sinai, in time to receive the Torah by the 50th day, which was Shavuot. So, from our numbers book, Jewish Wisdom of the Numbers, there's a beautiful Hidush, I love that word, Hidush, a drop, on the number 50. It says, the process of Teshuvah itself is related to Bina. And it says, it is such that sin is eradicated. What happens? A person relates to his transcendental roots, returns to God, and emerges as a new creation. Interestingly, there is a total of 50 days of Teshuvah from Rosh Chodesh Elul, which is a month of 29 days until the end of Hashanah Rabbah, which is on the 21st of Tishrei. So we got Rosh Hashanah Shalul, okay, which started on September 1st, and we go all the way to the 21st of Tishrei, which is the end of Hashanah Rabbah, which is the right as we conclude and go into Shemini Adzeret and Simchat Torah. So that's 50 days of Shuvah. So you also need to know the word Yovel, which is the Jubilee, also refers to the shofar horn of a ram. 
Indeed, the 50th year assumed the status of the Jubilee only once the shofar was sounded. So here's the deal. We're not free until the shofar is sounded. So this is why we say in our bracha for the Shimone Esrei, may you sound the great shofar for our freedom. Amen. Another thing is we're sounding the shofar throughout the month of Elul to remember to return back to Hashem. So you have this idea of teshuva and freedom and returning back to Hashem being such a beautiful thing. And I just want to bring up this concept that, you know, we Rabbi Griffin has brought down this concept of kol echad. Well, I was thinking about kol echad, and when you look at kol echad, the gematria of that. So you have the kaf and the lamet, which is kol, which, by the way, that gematria itself is 50. So... Before we even look at being echad, we're already at 50. So if all of us are together, like everybody, if we look at everybody, take our head count, that's 50. So what are we going to do with that 50? We're going to make it echad. That's going to take us up to 63. Okay? And then 63 is one of the divine names of Hashem. But it's also the word for Navi, which is prophet. And then it's also the word for standby. Um, we got Ma Chai, which is what is life? What is life is being Kolechad. Then we got um uh, that's interesting. Miz Zivcho, like Mizbeach, like his Mizbeach. And then we got I I uh, obviously didn't plan on doing this Gamatra, so I'm just really flying through and taking some time right now. Boom. Okay. So those are some 63 gematrias, but I want to take us over here to the divine name of 63, which is called Shem Sag. How do we get the name Sag? We take the divine name, the Tetragrammaton, and we spell it Yod Vav Dalid, which is the word Yod. Okay. That's the first letter. And then you have Hey Yod, second letter. Then you have Vav, Aleph, Vav. That's your third letter. And then you have Hey Yod. And that's your fourth letter. So spelling it out that way, the Gematria becomes 63. Commenting on this, by the way, this is all from the Ari and Chaim Vital. It says, commenting on this meditation, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev teaches that proper repentance necessitates the vibrant vigor of both running and returning, like in Yehezekiel 1.14. What does Yehezekiel 1.14 say? Survey says, And the living beings would run and return like the appearance of sparks. 
which by the way, this is word this is where the word um Khashmal comes in, which is the word for electricity loosely translated. And these lightnings and things are going forth, because in this verse it says Kemare uh Habazak, which all has to do with like these little streaks, like flash. Literally, Habazak is like what happens when you watch The Flash, like uh, DC, The Flash, that superhero. So when he he's a blur, you know, he has this element of electricity. That's why lightning rods are actually on his suit, because what The Flash does is the um, the epitome of this running and this returning, this electricity. And so when you're running and returning to a shim, you're like generating electricity. Like you're running, you're returning, like pew, pew, flash, flash, you know, kind of thing going on. So anyway, uh, it says basically, so you're basically getting charged up, right? So it says running, which is a forward motion, is associated with Kasa, which Kasa is another name of Hashem, which comes from the name Eye, which is the name that Hashem revealed at the burning bush to Moshe. Side note, the angel of Hashem was speaking with the voice of Hashem inside of the appearance of Hashem, which is in the burning bush. So you have this idea of Chol Echad having to do with one of these aspects of returning and running to Hashem. So hang on to 63 for a second. Let's talk about Kasa real quick, which is going to uh, total us up to 161. So you're going to have Sag, which is the Kolechad Gematria, which is 63, which comes from the divine name Hashem. And then you have Kasa, which is going to be 161, which comes from the divine name Elie. Okay. So you got the burning bush and then you got the name of Hashem. All right. So that's your back and forth. Your 63 to your 161. So the running fourth motion is associated with Kasa, which again, that's from the name Elie. This is related to the phrase, when I ascend, which in Hebrew is asak. It says, from the same letters as kasa, which is, when I ascend to the heavens, you are there. Tehillim 139.8. So, our 63, our kolechad, is all about teshuva because it corresponds to returning. And it says, related to the Hebrew word for move back or remove, as in the verse, do not back, do not set back slash remove in Hebrew, tasag, the ancient landmark which your fathers have made. Mishle 22:28. Here, even after a spiritual fall, one must be ready to spring back onto track. Of holy service to God. Lakute Maharon 6-7. So why did I bring that up? When we are doing everything kolechad, we are literally moving ourselves back to Hashem and creating that, that electricity because as we go out into the world, as we you know conclude our Torah studies, as we finish our meals, we got to go back and engage in things. And so we're going to run out and blur and like, go do that, charge up the circuit. But in order for that electricity to maintain its potency, you have to come back to Hashem. And this is the beautiful thing about, 
you know, you go throughout your week and you come back to shul for Shabbat because you return, you come back, you get charged up so you can go out again. And it's just a beautiful picture. So that's the 50 and that's the power of our Shuvah. That's the power of the month of Elul. So let us make the most of our returning to Hashem so that as we go forth, like Tavo, go forth, enter in, that it truly is like electric. You know, so Baruch Hashem. All right, so Parsha Kitavo, the Gematria is 439. Kitavo is 439. So 439 is the Gematria for Hadalit, which is the door. It's also the Gematria for Shoftim, which is judges. Also the Gematria for Mishpate, which is my judgments. And it's also the Gematria for Le or uh, Le Avot which is to or for the patriarchs. And the verb is to want or desire. And it's also the gematria of et lebo, which means his heart. So the other thing about Parsha Kitavo, it is the seventh of the Parshot and Devarim. And you got the seven being the menorah, being the Shabbat, seventh day of the week. The menorah has seven branches which all are centered around the center branch, which the center branch of the menorah is likened to the Shabbat. And so you have the days before Shabbat and the days after Shabbat. That's why the branches are on either side. So what is going on in Parashat Tavo is that we just remembered to blot out the memory. Like we just remembered to forget Amalek. And then we come right into tithing. And, you know, giving our whole history. So one of the beautiful things about what sets us up for Kitavo is understanding what is going on with Amalek. And so there's a beautiful teaching brought down by the Lubavitcher Rebbe on baseless doubt. So we've heard of baseless hatred and we've heard about the tikkun of that, which is baseless love. So now here's another thing that we need to tikkun, baseless doubt. This would probably be why the most recited, the most repeated thing in the Basora and in Acts and in the letters and in Revelation is all faith, 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 belief, 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 trust, 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 confidence, confidence, confidence. Because... The number one thing about Amalek is he is full of baseless doubt. So we have to have baseless, baseless faith. And again, one of the things brought down from the Geula summit uh, that happened before the three weeks of 5779, they were talking about how we have a moment where we are so hopeful for the final redemption. We so see it. We feel it. It's so close. And then all of a sudden, it's just kind of like the rug get pulls from under us and we don't feel it. And we kind of get drowned and overwhelmed in the reality of, of things and that, oh, man, is the Geula ever going to happen? And it is at that very moment that we have to begin to embrace that it is because no man knows the day or the hour, first of all. But again, remember that running and that returning so this is a concept of Hashmal to go back and forth between, oh man, we, we hope it, we feel it, we know it's going to happen. And then, oh, how could it possibly happen? And then we charge back over to know it's going to happen. 
So you're creating this static and this electricity, and that is the likeness of the flaming sword that guards the entrance to Ghani Din, i.e. The, the place that will transition us out of exile. So the more and more we can kind of go back and forth between these things and, and cry out to Hashem and really manifest in the world, you know, dominion over Amalek, dominion over materiality, and grabbing a hold of the Zitzit of Mashiach, like that's us actualizing the redemption. So that's what we have to do. So baseless doubt here brought down by the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, Amalek attacked Yisrael on the road, on the way out of Mitzrayim. Again, on the road, on the way, Haderic, which is where that flaming sword is. So the thing is, is Amalek is going to come at us. But what's also with us is the flaming sword. Because this is why Memtet, the angel of Hashem, the fiery one of Hashem, it has to be the one that we're found in. This is why Yeshua mikvahed us not only in water, but in fire and Ruach HaKodesh to give us a grab on that flaming sword so that it can be used against one who would try to come at us as we are on that path. So the way to defeat a Melech is with the flaming sword. Because the flaming sword is not meant to be against us. It's meant to teach us choreography. That's how we're supposed to dance, running and returning to Hashem. And as you're running and returning to Hashem, you're a flash, you're a blur, you're electric. A Amalek can't handle that. Doubt cannot exist in a place of overwhelming Amuna. Doubt cannot exist in the place where one treads the path of Torah confidently with the flaming sword and the angel of Hashem at his right and to his left. Because we do have a guardian angel. We have a, a Yetzer Hara and we have a Yetzer Tov. Those two angels are with us every day of our life and they submit to one another based on what we desire to do with it. And so if we emulate that flaming sword, we begin to bring in that unity and it's like, are you going to be a flaming sword for Hashem or are you going to be a flaming sword for not for Hashem? You're either with them or against them. So, the Yetzirah will have to say Amen to the Yetzirah Tov if we choose to subdue our flesh and its desires and walk forth with this flaming sword and imitate it. But the Yetzirah Tov, which by the way is much stronger than the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah Tov is so strong that we don't have any uh, semblance with it, any kind of acquaintance with it until after bar and bat mitzvah age. So at the moment of our birth, the Yetzahara enters into us. And so it's with us, you know, and so all of our cravings and all of our desires and I got to do this and I got to do that. And I'm before other people and I don't care about anybody else. I got to get my needs, my, me, 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 my, 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 do, 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 you know, this is why, you know, with a with a child, a young baby, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They already know how to be selfish. So what you have to do is begin to teach them. And after bar and bar mitzvah age, that's when the Yetzer Tov is given its introduction. So this is why it's like, OK, so it's been there, but it's kind of been in the in the background. 
And that's how powerful it is. So we have to incite our Yetzer Tov. We have to really get into the things of Hashem's Torah and like literally give that dominion in our life. Again, this is part of Rosh Hashanah is not only saying, God, I know you're creator, you're God, but you're also my king. I give you dominion in my life. What you say goes, not what I say. And that's where the line happens. You know, because many people say God is their king and their Lord. But the moment you don't eat kosher, the moment you don't keep the Shabbat, the moment you turn away from studying Torah, the moment you turn away from, yeah, I don't need all that religious stuff. You've now kicked Hashem out of your life. He's no longer your king. He is your God. Because at that point, whether he's your king or not, you're still going to have to come before him on judgment. And you will be accountable for the Torah that you were taught because we know better. And so we're really just playing ourselves if we ever think, yeah, I don't know if I can be Jewish, man. I just uh, don't know about that's weird, you know. Might want to reconsider that, <laughs> you know, but the choice is ours. That's the only thing Hashem left in our hands. You get to choose whether you're going to be a Rasha or a Zodic. That's that's your only options. So, uh, newsflash, and you may not like that, or you may love that, but either way, that's the truth, because we're all about facts over opinions here, or facts, we're all about truth over facts here. I always get it wrong because it's such a crazy statement, but anyway, I, just, I love this statement, even though it's bizarre, because truth over facts, like, what does that even mean? And it's like, exactly. But anyway, uh, so that's probably why I always mess it up, because it's a silly statement. Anyway... Incite your Yetzer Hatov, because when when that rises up in you, it's, it's literally like Captain Marvel going binary. You're just kind of like, I did not know this much power existed. So, yeah, anyway, Flaming Sword against Amalek, back to our source here. It says, so he attacked us on the way out of Egypt as they were headed toward Mount Sinai to receive God's Torah. This is why so many people never really make it into conversion. They never really last at shul. They never really stick around as a lapid because Amalek attacks us on the way to receiving Hashem's Torah. Because as we're on our journey, as we're on our path of being born again, of being renewed as a believer and a Shem follower of Mashiach, that Amalek is on us. He is ready to just like take us out. He's like, the best thing for me today is for however possible I can cause this Lapid flame to go out. So I can feel the intensity of this final week of Elul, us heading into Rosh Hashanah, you know, and that's kind of why I'm podcasting all over the place because. We don't have time anymore. We're out of time. It's time to just go in. It's time to throw the kitchen sink, like everything and the kitchen sink. So, you know, with Amalek, he sacrifices himself to the point that he'll die in his mission and he don't he don't care about it. So what does that say for us that we're going to have to be like literally on it? Literally going in for shrimp. So anyway, it says so. Before I continue, I just want to conclude my little rant here. Not really a rant, but just my little digression. 
that whatever it takes, you know, that is our motto, whatever it takes to get to Shul, whatever it takes to get to Shabbat, whatever it takes to get to the Arab Shabbat table, whatever it takes to light the candles, whatever it takes to make the challah, whatever it takes to don zizit, whatever it takes to don tefillin, whatever it takes to study the Torah, whatever it takes to make a bracha before you eat or partake of something. That's your mentality. And that's the flaming sword. Okay, that is the teacher of the way, which is Memtet, i.e. Yeshua, who says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. That's how you do it. You fight, fight, fight to the end, even to the point that you're dying, you know, which is really just dying to yourself. Because, by the way, we haven't resisted sin and persecution unto bloodshed. So what room do we really have when you think about it? And this is why Yeshua says, if you really want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. Because Amalek is willing to die to himself, not to follow me. So what about you to follow me? Okay, so back to the, here we go, back to sources. Okay, so we're on our way to receive God's Torah and Amalek is like, no. And then it says, and their mandate as his people. So receiving the Torah is also the mandate that we're Hashem's people. Hashem's people are people of Torah. That's it. So anyway, don't want to be Jewish, but you want to be God's people. Think about this for a moment. Okay, so now we got here too. history mirrors the inner workings of the soul. The timing of the historical Amalek's attack describes the internal circumstances under which the pestilence of baseless doubt rears its head there remains one enemy which threatens also the post-exodus individual so if you're a person who has come out of whatever previous religion whatever previous idolatry and you're now like okay i'm here for you hashem so there's one enemy that remains and that enemy is amelic because amelic knows his master and is consciously and consciously rebels against him. He knows Hashem, but yet he consciously rebels against him. This happens to us sometimes. We're like, yeah, Hashem, I know I love you so much. And it's like you go off and sin. That's Amalek. So that's not that's not a follower of Hashem. That's Amalek. Okay, so he knows his master consciously rebels against him. Amalek does not challenge the truth with arguments or even with selfish motivations. He just disregards it. There is a giant movement about loving Hashem, blessing Hashem, wanting to worship Hashem and praise Hashem. But you want to disregard everything of him, say that his word is done away with and all this kind of stuff. Anytime you call the word of God done away with, that should be a red flag. Because Genesis and Leviticus, you know, obviously, okay, let's go ahead and just say it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are just as much the word of God as Isaiah. Are just as much the word of God as Psalms. And I would just say even more so because all of the Bible is based off of those first five books. Everything else is an outflow. This is why if you're studying the sources, if you're reading Jewish literature 
which historically has always been burned because people are like, yeah, if we burn it, then we can get rid of it. Because anyone who doesn't have Jewish literature and Jewish resources, the Torah, the Hebrew, then that's where all of the shadiness comes in and you can begin to refute it. But if you have all of this information, you can't, it's undeniable. You begin to see that even the letters of Shaul and Kepha and Yochanan, they all are Torah. So there's nothing new in the Basura. There's nothing new in, you know, Acts. There's nothing new in the letters. And when Yeshua says a new commandment, I give you that you should love one another as you love yourself. That's already in Torah. And again, we talk about renewing the covenant. It's the same covenant. It's with new facets. So what Yeshua is really saying is I need you to be your brother's keeper. Just like Moshe said in Parsha Nitzavim, you are your brother's keeper. You're your guarantors for one another. The revealed things are for us, but the hidden things are for Hashem. As it is put in, in the uh, Parsha of Nitzavim. So. It says. The axiom is do truth because it is truth. So Amalek says, so what? Armed with nothing but his chutzpah, Amalek jumps into a boiling tub and contests the incontestable and in doing so cools its impact. Uh, as it was brought down in one of the Iron Man movies, if you can make God bleed, then people will cease to believe in him. Now, obviously, that is completely way out of context because, you know, on so many different levels, I just saw a plane crash into a train into an automobile like just right now because God did bleed when Yeshua was, you know, whipped and pierced and all that. And that actually fostered and uh, undergirded our belief in Hashem. Second of all, Hashem can't technically bleed because he's divine so if he bled it would be the the pretty much the image of Hashem like a manifestation of Hashem because remember the life of something is in his blood but you know I can kind of see where they're going that obviously you know if you can kind of cool the impact here then you can kind of shut things down which is what a Malik is. A Malik is like, you think Israel's untouchable? You think they're surrounded by clouds of glory, snakes and scorpions are fleeing? Well, guess what? We're going to go and attack them. And we're going to take out some of their people. And because we didn't completely wipe out everybody, but we wiped out a, a, a little, like a less than an olive-sized portion of them, then people can know, okay, they are touchable. Just how is the point? You know, but even in that process, between Moshe, Aharon, and Hor on top of the mountain, and Yehoshua and Pincus, and all these other valiant men that Yehoshua chose, Caleb being one of them, Yehoshua, Caleb, and Pincus, they're out doing that. So you got six men right here. So you got Moshe, Aharon, and Hor up top. Then you got Yehoshua, Caleb, and Pincus down below. Like, that's a get you some of trifecta right there. But anyway, um, so yeah. It's just like Amalek was taken out. And so people should probably see, okay, well, maybe Amalek was like half successful, but 
you know, he he kind of got smoted. You know, he didn't he wasn't completely successful. But that's the thing with baseless doubt. It doesn't want to be completely successful. It just wants to get some success. And that's the thing about what we're heading into as we're in Parsha Kitavo, going into Parsha Nitzavim and Vayelik, which are usually read together, but sometimes they're read apart, which is the discrepancy of our 53 and 54 Torah portions. Because technically we have 53, but technically we have 54 Torah portions. But I digress. The thing is, is as we enter into the land, that is that attack. Like, I'm going to stop you from being at the final point. And I will tell you, as tough and as rough of a week as we had during Parshakitavo, we would not let the toughness and we would not let the grief debilitate us. And so, you know, Lapid Nation, don't let your grief debilitate you. Continue to move forward with the help of Hashem. Accept the love of your Mishpachah. Accept the embrace of all the prayer and, and things like that. But we say, Gamzule Tova. And all of these tragedies that are continuing to happen, that Hashem, please bring an end to them. Bring us into the final redemption. So, we got some Bikurim going on which is the word for first fruits. And we got this whole incident with the basket. So when you're looking at Tavo, one of the, the entry points is tithing. This is why I brought down a few weeks ago. And I believe it's Parshare A about pay your tides. And Bezrat Hashem, I'll be doing a Lapid live video on pay your tides. And I literally want to get us all comfortable well, I hope that we all get comfortable with being able to say, pay yo tides. We have this funny thing with the Sar Shalom worship team that while we're practicing and we're like, okay, so what's our set list? You know, we pick our set list and we're like, all right, so what's the pay yo tide song? And we'll turn all the lyrics of that song into pay your tide some kind of way. So we'll be like, I don't I share my luck, pay your tides. Everybody better pay your tides. You know, and then we'll go back into the lyrics. You know, something like that. Anyway, we should be real comfortable with that because one of the things we have to know is the more stingy we are, and yes, it is stinginess. It's not really that we don't trust Hashem and that we feel like we won't have enough money because trust me baseless doubt is right there it's like there is no reason for that hashem is not going to punish you for doing something he commanded you to do chances are he's probably going to help you out in some kind of supernatural way i've seen it and as i am making this podcast i i literally have to tell you the bank account's looking a little shaky because <laughs> i'm like i had a flat tire today and i don't know how i'm going to uh pay for all my expenses this week we have to get ready for uh rosh hashanah which you know obviously there's provision for that but uh you know talking day to day like gas and toll and you know food you know and things like that so one of the beautiful things is i have money to pay the tire someone filled up my gas tank and the rest is yet to be seen so 
I'm going to have baseless faith that Hashem is going to provide because I'm starting to go crazy tithing. Uh, by the way, it's important to note, no more than one-fifth of your income should go to tithing. So you have two percent, two ten percent tithes. You have one ten percent, which goes to the Levites, and then you have the second ten percent, which should actually go to you, unless it's the third and sixth year of the seven-year uh, sabbatical cycle, because on the third and sixth year you give that to the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Okay, because your second tithe is your fundage for your yom tov. So when you need to buy a sukkah, when you need to buy, you know, yayin and things for for the festivals, for the onto, you need to buy your lulav, that's your second tithe money. That's where that comes from. So if you are putting away your second 10% with your first 10%, you know, because you're 10, that's what you're literally given in the zadaka box. Your second tithe, your, uh, I mean, zadaka box is shul. There's a docker box at home is where your second tithe can go. And then that other portion to make you up to one fifth of your income is your taruma. And that's the portion of the hala that gets separated. And you actually give that to the Kohen. So tithing actually comes from your grain, your wine and your oil, as we talk about in the Shema. OK, right. So. Technically, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty on tithing, it actually comes from your produce, you know, things that are actually going to come from the earth. So there's that because you got your olives, you got your uh, your grain, your bread, and then you got your your vineyard. So there's all of that. And my point is, is the more we can get into tithing. Oh, just to finish my point, so I, I've, I've begun trying to do a second tithe, so I'm kind of pushing there. I'm not quite at 10% yet, but I'm pushing that threshold, and then I'm giving to the mikvah, you know, uh, as a part of that, and then, you know, obviously doing the 10%. So, you know, just to throw that out there that, you know, I'm just going to have some baseless faith now, so... Basis faith and tithing is literally going to go hand in hand. So, you know, I just want to encourage everyone to do your first fruits because that's contingent upon us entering in. So, uh, sure enough, Pink has brought that down during that Parsha, Parsha A, about, you know, and the merit of Zadaka, we will be redeemed. Zadaka literally has power over death, you know, I guess all sorts of stuff. So, Bezrat Hashem, if I can do the Lapi live video, it's going to be pay your tides. So let us pay our tithes, which is giving Zadaka. So let's put everything where it appropriately needs to go, because one of the reasons we're still in exile is because we're not tithing. Because when we get out of exile and Hashem brings us back to the land, we're going to need to tithe. Because if not, I mean, I don't know what that's going to look like, because when the final redemption happens, everybody's heart will finally be changed to where it needs to be, that we're serving Hashem and we're not bucking the system. Maybe those who are in Gehenna, you know, they're probably bucking the system and they don't want to do that. So that's kind of weird and an interesting picture to think about. But, you know, maybe we focus on light. Maybe we focus on the Torah, our main, Brukshem, fix and focus our eyes upon the author, perfecter, and finisher. All right. So I'm just going to finish us out with some Rabbi Trugman for the conclusion of the Kitavo GT. 
So this first fruit, it says the mitzvah of taking the first fruits to the temple contains a beautiful illusion teaching us how to how to achieve a joyous frame of mind. This is so beautifully cool, by the way, because I'm inserting this when Yeshua endured all that he endured as he was the first fruits, literally in a basket, because there's this whole idea that the fruit is the soul, the basket is the body. So Yeshua's soul, which is Hashem's spirit, the Torah, is in a body like a basket. And keep that in mind when we talk about the meaning of this basket. But he endured with joy and he came to the temple and he even endured his crucifixion with joy, you know. And so there's this idea that this is going to teach us how to achieve a joyous frame of mind. I'm pretty sure if we can learn how to be joyous from Mashiach's example, you know, then there's not anything in this world that could keep us from being joyous. Because I don't know about you, but being handed over. Uh, being up all night, getting improperly judged, being whipped with a cat of nine, nine tails, people gambling for your clothes, punching you, spitting at you, you carrying your own instrument of death and then being crucified and pinned to it. You know, like that, like, I don't know if you can't be joyous in that. Right. You know, and if you can be joyous in that, then how much more so can you be joyous and our light afflictions. And yes, our afflictions are very light. Even though they hurt, even though they're painful, some of them bring us to our knees, some of them bring us to tears, but these are light afflictions. Because Mashiach took it all. Like, again, run the gauntlet of what actually happened to him and start thinking about your life. You're like, all of a sudden, a flat tire is not so bad because my hands are totally not pierced. Like, I'm totally fine with that. You know, but anyway, so this is to help us achieve a joyous frame of mind. So it says in the verse and you shall put it, which is the fruits in a basket. The Hebrew word for basket is tene. The word has the numerical value of 60. All right. We're approaching this word for 63, which is kol echad, which I talked about a while back. So. Literally, this basket can be kolechad because kolechad is the gematria 63. Tene is 60. And if you add the three letters, the tet, nun, aleph, then you get, um, yeah, then you get, you know, the three letters added to the gematria and it becomes 63. All right. So it says this word has the numerical value of 60 since the rules of gematria the number one may be added to the sum to represent the entire word. We find an allusion to the Jewish law dictating that if one substance is accidentally mixed with another one, it becomes null and void if the ratio between them is 60 and one. So in your joyous mind frame, you have to have a 60 to one ratio. So. This is kind of interesting to think about because as I was mourning, I was like, okay, so how am I going to get my ratio up to 60 to this one? And basically what it ended up being was really 
talking out, was really praying, was really connecting with Malo, really, you know, writing it out, you know, and seeking Hashem in this, you know, really taking this fruit and putting it in a basket. You know, if we can get to the point of taking our pain, taking our trials, our afflictions and put it in a basket and bring it before Hashem. Now, that's powerful. That was that made all the difference in the world to me. And, you know, some people who've gone through the similar experience that we've gone through. You know, one guy said, I just love this guy for this. He said, you have to make something of it, you know, because we, you know, he was saying that there's a a song or a, a band or an artist or whatever that was uh, that always evokes the memory of his child that he lost. And he was just like, I don't want to hear this stuff again. And every time I hear it, it just makes me think about him. And I just don't want to, you know, but it's like, no, I have to grab this. I have to embrace this. I have to go, you know. There was good that came out of this. There's something that I can hold on to. This memory can actually be, you know, I can I can change this. I can actually cause this not to be something sad, but this to be something that helps me grow, something that builds me up, you know. And so for me, you know, we lost our we lost our seed on a Shabbat, like our 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 daughter, you know, and it's just kind of like. I've, I've been doing the brachot over the banim and I was able to, you know, touch my wife and say the brachot over our daughter and, you know, to know the, the following Shabbat that would come up, I wouldn't be able to do that. And no more Vayet Zari bracha and, you know, just the whole thing. It's just kind of like, wow, what do you do with that? How do you truly get the 60 and 60 is the letter Samak. You have to have a support. And again, I tell you, Lapid Nation, we felt so much support. So now we want to say thank you so much for that support and to encourage us all to make something of this. You know, that this is not a, oh, poor Mazel and Amet, but a man you know, let's joyfully make something out of this. Let's take these tears. Let's take these, this mourning because other people who've lost their children, you know, that we're all mourning together now. So let's grab a hold of our mourning and, and take it up to the summit, the support. And so you have this, this picture here, like it's, it's so beautiful that, you know, the summit, the support, the shield, you know, it's all there. This is that picture. And so when you have your shield in the face of that one thing that is hurting you, that is paining you, you can nullify it and, and make it void as something that will debilitate you and take you out of the proverbial commission. And so Kitavo, that's what that's about. So now, remember I told you to hold on to the basket in Yeshua, right? Okay. So it says the basket, it says equaling 60 represents a person's ability to nullify his or her own lust for honor by bringing the first fruits to God. One of the things we do when we tithe is 
we tell Hashem that we are null to ourself. We are dead to ourself. And again, Yeshua said, you have to die to yourself if you want to follow me. So that's a tithe drop. If you really want to follow Mashiach, you need to be a tither. Okay? If you really want to nullify yourself and say, oh, yeah, I've experienced Betul with Hashem. It's like, okay, so you pay your tithe, right? Well, I don't want to pay my tithe. It's kind of like, well, you're taking honor for yourself. Careful. Okay? So then it says... This notion is hinted at by the fact that the word for I, which is Ani, has the numerical value of 61. These same Hebrew letters, when interchanged or permutated, so to speak, spell the Hebrew word for nothingness, which is Ain. Thus, the one who puts his first fruits in a basket, which is Gematria of 60, is in effect nullifying his ego in a ratio of 1 to 60 and reaching the level of selflessness, which is Ain, the secret of true joy. What is the secret of true joy when you're nullified to yourself? Mashiach was only able to be completely joyful in the midst of something so horrible because he was empty of himself. And this is the beautiful thing Yeshua told us so many times. I don't do what I do on my own. I only speak what I hear my father speak. I only do what I, my father's doing. You know, like I'm not here on my own agenda. I'm here on my father's agenda. Like that's where you're going to find your true joy. So as we're closing out the month of Elul and heading into Rosh Hashanah, we have to enter into true joy. We have to keep Taibo, like some martial arts with it, into true joy. We have to nullify ourselves. Tithing is one of those mitzvot that helps us do that. And so we should get to a point where we can say, pay your tithes, man. What's wrong with you? Because we should be able to be so joyful. And this is probably why Shaul was led to write, Hashem loves a cheerful giver. You know, and how we have to give with joy. We should have joy in our hearts as we're giving away ourself. Because, yes, our money is ourself. So, therefore, if we keep it, then we're keeping and holding ourself. But if we give it away, we're giving away ourself, which is giving up our life, which is following out the Mashiach. We're turning our ani into an ain. And that's the goal. That's how you have true joy. The less you are about yourself and the more you are about Hashem, that's where your joy is going to come from. That's the only reason I can do this podcast. That's the only reason that I can, you know, stand up in front of Shul on this past Shabbat. And, and thank everyone for all of the prayers and all of the support. It's because I have to nullify myself. Yes, I'm hurt. Yes, I'm in so much pain. But the mission Hashem has called me here to do is much bigger and that's what we have to focus on. So may we continue to press in, continue to nullify ourselves before Shem, continue to bring the fruits of our spirit, which is Hashem's spirit, Bezrat Hashem. Because sometimes we can have other spirits going on that aren't Hashem, and you know, that's kind of awkward. But anyway, but. Let Hashem's spirit and Hashem's fruit fill up our bodies, our baskets. 
Let us bring it before Hashem and walk in the history that has been laid before us to bring about the repair of the, which is the final redemption, where all mankind will truly find tikkun. So may it be so that we say Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. May you be inscribed and sealed for a good life in the time to come with the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the inauguration of 5780. Amen.